Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Danny Schofield to my Philip Schofield. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Really good, thanks. I'm actually, I don't know. No, I'm not really good. I'm really tired. I went to the uh, the Man City game against Dortmund last night and got back late. And I have to tell you, this is genuine. I've seen better championship games. I watched it on telly. Um, I thought it was an all right game. It was It was okay. It was very pedestrian. Jack Grealish just kept cutting inside and it, it just, yeah, it was really bland. And honestly, I think I'd rather have watched Reading Sunderland. How, what was it like seeing Erling Haaland in front of your very eyes, the big test tube baby that he is? <laughs> he was completely anonymous until the 80th minute. Genuinely anonymous for, until the 80th minute. Again, would have rather have watched Ross Stewart for 90 minutes. <laughs> Quote that. Um, <laughs> welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, ladies and gentlemen. The second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we're going to talk about all the midweek games here in the championship. There have been some monstrous results <laughs> here in midweek. Suddenly, a lot of managers seem to be very under pressure, and it's ended up being too much for those at Huddersfield with the sacking of Danny Schofield. So we'll talk about that, plus all the other games from midweek in the championship. But before we get underway, let me tell you, listener, about our friends at Fansbet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in the description of the podcast and claim your 200% sports deposit bonus of up to £200. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site, 18+. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info and do also check out Fansbet's responsible gambling tools. So, Huddersfield have sacked Danny Schofield as head coach after just 69 days in the job. It comes after they lost 2-1 at home to Wigan and is their sixth loss from eight league games. I thought the Huddersfield hierarchy might stick with him a bit longer, Justin, but it's undeniable that they have been pretty dreadful so far, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's probably what's that's what swung it for, for Huddersfield, I think, is, is that they haven't looked like a functional team at any point. Um, at no point have they looked like they're, they're gelling as a, as a squad, as a unit. Tactically, honestly, I have no idea what um, Schofield's best team is. And if we're getting to eight games in for Huddersfield and you don't know what your best team is, it's not it's not ideal, is it? And I think losing the likes of Lewis O'Brien and Harry Toffolo and not directly replacing them with the funds that was brought in, I think is such a big mistake. And that's not Schofield's fault. And I do feel that Schofield has been massively shafted by um, 
by the situation that's that he's been presented with over the summer. Um, and that's that's on the hierarchy of Huddersfield rather than Schofield. But as I said, the performances haven't got anywhere near um, any anywhere near a level that could have kept him in a job. To be honest, yeah. I- could not agree more Justin it's just not worked out at all has it and I'm all for giving young British coaches a chance but he was given such a bad hand when you step back for a sec imagine being in Danny Schofield's shoes right Danny we're delighted to say we're giving you your first job in management but by the way we're selling our two best players not replacing them all the loan players from last season but here's some players from League One good luck um I, I think he was just given an impossible job because fans were already ha- unhappy about Carlos Corbran going and expectations would still be relatively high considering they were a couple of dodgy penalty decisions away from being in the Premier League this mm-hmm. season. So he probably didn't help himself with some tactical decisions, but I think whoever comes in will have a really tough job in getting results from this side, a side that I don't think is particularly good and is much weaker than the one from last season. And for a manager to try and get results with this side in his first managerial job, I think he was, <laughs> for the lack of a better term, Justin, shafted. Um, <laughs> I suppose the question is, Justin, what do you do next if you're in charge of Huddersfield? <laughs> do you go for a long-term option or try and play it safe with someone who can keep them up? I said this at the weekend, didn't I? Um, that if Schofield goes and they go to one of those options where it's a see-it-out sort of job, Um then the, the whole justification of sacking Danny Cowley and appointing Carlos Corbran goes out of the window. Um, I did see a, did see a tweet that made me laugh um, about Dean Hoyle's past appointments, the likes of Chris Powell, Jan Seawert, um, compared to that of Phil Hodgkinson who appointed Corbran, um, and obviously Schofield's another one. So they don't have the best track record. I know they've put in Wagner, but they don't have the best track record. But for me, I think Huddersfield need to carry on in a certain direction and if that, I don't want to say if that means getting relegated, then then so be it. But I feel like the long-term project is more important to Huddersfield in the grand scheme of things than bringing in a, a manager who gets the team organised and fighting against relegation um, or, or that sort of football. Because um, I think that's going to set them back massively. But at the same time, they're in this situation purely because of their own uh, their ownership and the hierarchy's poor decisions. Um, and they're going to have to make one decision that's going to put the club back two two steps if they need to do that then they don't they need to do that whatever that is well former Huddersfield boss David Wagner's the favorite for the job and I honestly don't know how to feel about that I think you'd see an initial boost because mm. the return of someone like him who's a big fan favorite at the club I think would give everyone at the club a boost I'm not sure it would last though as I say this squad is not very good and it's going to take a very good manager to get results on the regular with this team. Plus, his managerial career since leaving Huddersfield has been pretty, pretty bad. At Schalke, he went 18 games in a row without a win before getting sacked. And then he took over at Young Boys, who had just won three Swiss titles in a row before he came in. And then they didn't win the title under the season that he was in charge. So I wouldn't be sold on this move if they did go down that route but let's give Wigan some praise Justin if we go back to the game for the sec it was an entertaining game but it is another three points for the Latics who have only lost once in the league this season 
And we haven't really spoken about them at length, have we? But Liam Richardson mm. is actually doing a very sound job, isn't he? Yeah, it's it's a really good, well-balanced team. Um, and their approach in pre-season was obviously to bide their time, essentially. Um, which, at first, you think, well, why aren't they signing anybody? But actually, I, th- I think on, on the balance of things, Richardson was quite content with his squad and he wanted to see what was out there and obviously adding Ryan Niambe and a couple of more options as well um, I think it really helped the, the balance of the team um, the balance of the team the the, the personality of the squad um, I think they are much more important attributes than signing players who will provide immediate sparks because they've got he look at front three Asgard's a young player coming through he's, he's looked pretty sharp Will Keane's a very tidy player and has turned into a very good player over the last couple of seasons with with Wigan and Callum Lang. Callum Lang's the the difference maker and he and he was in this game. And then behind it, there's a there's a there's a shield of Max Power and Graham Shinney. You do not get more hardworking and um, water carrying than than that. And the balance of that is is really pleasing to see. And they're, and they're gonna they're gonna get results like this. I don't think they're gonna walk over teams, um, but they're gonna win games because they've got a really good attitude, a really good mentality, um, and a really good manager that gets them organised. And that is that goes a long way for for teams in the championship. Yeah, I've been impressed with them, and each player there knows they've got to work their socks off for one another, don't they? And it's helping them to grind out results. I think they've got a very solid spine with. Jack Watmore and Curtis Tilt in defence, then Max Power alongside Graham Shinney or Tom Naylor in midfield, both experienced players, whoever is that, you know, pivot in midfield. Mm-hmm. And then Will Keenan's number 10 has been really good as well. I'm not sure I want to rely on Josh McGuinness as my first choice striker all season, but they've got Ashley Fletcher, they've got Nathan Broadhead, so they've got options up there as well. Yeah. Overall, they've been very competitive in every game so far, and that's not very often the case with newly promoted sides, is it? As long as they've been in every single game, then you'd be feeling quite positive about them. And I think many people, as the season goes on, will underestimate them as a team, but they're a really hard-working side and underestimate them at your peril. They deserve a lot of credit for the good start and Liam Richardson you know, deserves a lot of the plaudits for that because he's got this team really well-organised and well-drilled. Justin, let's go to the Hawthorns for one of the first big shock results of midweek. West Brom 2, Birmingham 3. Don't worry, Blues fans. We'll give Birmingham plenty of credit very shortly. But Justin West Brom were shocking at the back here, weren't they? I think that's the surprising thing is how poor they were defensively because you look at all three of the goals um, and they were all incredibly avoidable. Um, If you, you... I think the second one is it's just two or three passes forward, two or three passes forward, and and, and West Brom have been cut open. I know they're on the counter attack, but still, it's um, it's not good enough for a team wanting to get into the top six, maybe even the top two. And then the third one, the third one is criminal. Scott Hogan's got the freedom of the West Midlands to to get his shot off, and I know Scott Hogan was informing this game, but he's not a player who typically converts all of his chances but he did in, in this game and that's credit to him but West Brom gave um gave Hogan the opportunity to do it and, and he took them and he's gonna he's gonna um he's gonna he's yeah he's gonna harm teams when he's when he's got the chance to do it but yeah the defending was just dreadful um and it, it probably leaves Bruce looking over his shoulder because whilst the performances have been good he's not getting results well, Birmingham City just go forward three times and get given three golden chances, didn't they, by West Brom's shoddy defending. Fair play to Scott Hogan 
for taking the goals, but ultimately they were made a lot easier by West Brom just being useless at the back. And it is just one win from nine for them now. They're one of only three teams yet to record multiple victories in the championship. Unsurprisingly, that's always going to lead to a manager being under pressure, isn't it? It's a results-driven business, as every manager tells you, isn't it? And obviously, if performance is good, but you're not getting results, then what's the point? You're going to get sacked, unfortunately. And if you again, they are relying on players putting away chances and doing the job on the pitch. But at the same time, if your style of play is consistent and doesn't tweak or adapt, and you just keep doing the same thing, and the results are the same, and the results are the same, then then unfortunately. You're not doing enough to to get the most out of your squad. There's another manager who are below is manager of a team below, just below West Brom at the minute, doing the same thing, um, which we'll go on to. But for for Steve Bruce, yeah, he's he's looking over his shoulder, I think, and West Brom could be forced to pull the trigger again. I don't think they will because financially it's a bad decision, but at the same time, that it's going to be a so-so season again. Well, I look at West Brom's team and think to myself, if you've got the attacking talents that they do. Surely as a manager, all you've got to do is sort them out defensively and you'll be fine. Maybe it's not as simple as that, but <laughs> when the, you've got the personnel that they've got, they, without a doubt, should be doing a lot better. Because they, they are a hard team to analyse for me, because I think performances have been a lot better than results suggest. But maybe the fact they're not converting these good results or good performances into wins is down to the manager. Poor Jed Wallace. You can make a fair argument that he's been one of the players of the season so far because God knows where West Brom would be without him. He should have 25 assists already. Yeah. I don't know if that's the manager's fault or not, though, that players aren't getting on the end of chances. One thing that for certain can be the manager's fault is the goalkeeper. David Button keeps getting picked despite really struggling in goals so far. I don't know why Alex Palmer isn't given a chance or why they don't just sign someone else on a free because there are certainly options out there. I think the bottom line is Steve Bruce is always going to be under pressure if they're not getting results because of how they finished last season and because it's Steve Bruce. Um, It's ultimately a results-based business. West Brom have been playing better than the results would suggest, but if you boil it down to the cold, hard facts, it's eight wins from 28 games under Steve Bruce. Mm -hmm. With the players they've got, that's simply not good enough. So... Even though it's early in the season, it wouldn't surprise me if West Brom did pull the trigger. Just because in the time that Bruce has been there, have we really seen an upturn in their fortunes? You can't really yeah. argue that they have, can you? Um, Birmingham took advantage of the West Brom mistakes, didn't they? Punish them. More specifically, Scott Hogan punished them. and punished them. He had the game of his life here. Had three chances. Scored all three. And he is a confidence striker isn't he when he is high on confidence he can score a fair few goals in the championship and going forwards this may see him score more goals for Blues but here he was he was in the confidence of his life aren't he <laughs> yeah he has spells doesn't he and that's you know he'll go five or six games with a nice streak but it probably only happened once or twice three times at a push um, during a season especially since that 
a golden patch of form at Brentford saw him get that big when he moved to Villa. Um, but he is he is a good player at this level. He does score goals. He does work hard as well. Um, I think one said one thing he said under John Eustace compared to Lee Bowie, he's, he's given the he's he's been given the chance to do what he's good at, um, which is essentially just play between the goalposts. Get yourself in a position in between goalposts and chances will come to you. And they did that. Bakuna laid up two really good passes for him. I thought Bakuna was brilliant, by the way. Well, Bakuna put him into two really good positions and he took his chances. And that's all that's what he can do as a forward. As long as he's taking his chances, um, then you he, then he'll keep going. And I think that's one thing you can be critical of, Scott Hogan. He's he can get four or five chances in a game and he'll take one of them, whereas in this one he, he took three. And um that's that yeah, as you say, that's absolutely fair play to him. West Brom's defending was poor, but one thing you've got to do as a forward is be alive and alert to that to that poorness um, and and take advantage of it. And he did that. And that's that's all you can ask for from a Birmingham perspective. Yeah, Giannino Bakuna had one of those games, didn't he, where he was on fire. They don't happen mm-hmm. very often, but when they do, it usually results in a win because he is lethal on his day. Uh, but Birmingham, two wins in two. They come up against Coventry at the weekend, so a great chance to make it three out of three in a West Midlands derby. There was a shock at the Riverside Stadium as Cardiff beat Middlesbrough 3-2. Cardiff were 3-0 up at half-time. And Middlesbrough were shocking in the first half, weren't they? It's not the first time now they've started slowly either, and it's cost them. Chris Wilder admitted it's a concern and says it's something they obviously don't coach into the players, and I should bloody hope not as well. Um, But 15 goals conceded from nine games. A Chris Wilder team averaging nearly two goals conceded per game. It's truly astonishing, isn't it, Justin? What did I say? It was three, three, four weeks ago. I asked if Chris Wilder team, this Chris Wilder team, had been found out, um, and it does, it does feel like that's the case a little bit. As you say, fifteen goals. Oh God, yes, it's, it's, it sounds, it sounds terrible, and. The Wilder sides are built on really solid foundations. You look at Sheffield United now, still reaping the rewards of those foundations being set by by him, and those defensive standards just were nowhere near nowhere near the fore against this Cardiff uh, in this Cardiff game. Um, I think it was uh, the Perry NG goal. Matt Clark was stood still um, as as NG ghosted go past him and, and put it into the bottom corner. The defending was poor, out of out of possession. They've been really poor. We haven't seen them that press be as effective as it could be, um, and and that's that's really where Chris Wilder's defensive um, goodness. No, the, the, the positivity is the positive aspect of his teams defending well. That's where it comes from. Is is that press and pushing teams back and them being so uncomfortable to play against? But they aren't. Borough quite easy to play against at the moment, and it's just. I don't know. It's it's just it's just it's just bad, isn't it? And I don't think Wilder is in danger of losing his job. But from what I could see, fans are losing patience. And once the fans, once you lose the fans, it's very hard to get them back. Especially especially um, at the Riverside as well, where where they can generate a good atmosphere. If the team, if the fans are against you, it's going to be an uphill battle for you. Well, I was going to ask you, Justin. Do you think he's under pressure? Because I've seen loads of Middlesbrough fans saying Wilder out online. So do you think he is under pressure? I'll stop short of saying he's close to getting sacked because Steve Gibson's put a lot of eggs in in, in the Wilder basket, hasn't he? Um, but at at the same time, as you mentioned, fans fans are losing patience. I don't. I've not seen as many Wilder out comments, but I've seen a lot of exasperated supporters on, online who are frustrated with the style of play, who are frustrated with the perform, performances and the results. 
And like Steve Bruce, this is what I was alluding to, it's a results-driven business. If you're not getting results and your team's struggling, um, then ultimately you're going to lose your job. And you have to argue that Wilder, that a lot of a lot of money and investment has been put into this Wilder team um, so far. Could could do could do with more because there are a lot of gaps, but um, it's just not been good enough. It really hasn't. It has been a strange start because the results obviously haven't been good enough. Nine points from nine games is very, very disappointing. However, I have been saying performances have been better than results suggest, and I still think that's the case. Maybe not as much on Tuesday night, but Borough have definitely not been bad, really. They've had phases where they've been bad, but then they've managed to even it up in the remainder of the game. Um, I strongly believe a change in fortunes is just around the corner for them. Everything will just click at some point in the near future. I'm sure of it because they can't keep not getting results when they're playing the way they are. Defensively, they have got to be better without a doubt. They've got the second worst defensive record in the league. And these early goals they keep shipping, they will go a long way to improving, I'm sure, if they manage to erase them from the game. But I also think it's incredibly hasty to be calling for Wilder to go because Chris Wilder is, without a doubt in my mind, one of the best managers in the championship. If he's given time, he will get Middlesbrough promoted. I'm sure of that. And we have got to remember, he's not even been in the job for a year. You can't be sacking a manager like him after just a year. That would be insane, like actually mad to get rid of him after less than a year. People will say, OK, you think Steve Bruce maybe should be considered, you know, get in the sack but Wilder not I just think Chris Wilder's a much better manager than Steve Bruce ultimately so I, I can see the positives here I can hear the signs I can see the signs with uh, Chris Wilder that a change is uh, a change in fortunes is just around the corner so that's why I would say to Middlesbrough fans just stay patient for now because they will come the results I'm sure <laughs> but a brilliant a brilliant way to bounce back for Cardiff who were really struggling prior to this game. They changed system to have two strikers up top and it really paid off. Callum Robinson, Mark Harris really complimented each other well here, didn't they? And considering goals has been a common issue, this looks like it could be a solution, Justin. Yeah, definitely. Robinson adds that little bit of zest they needed in that final third, that little bit of composure, not necessarily to score goals, but to get them in good areas. You know, you know, squaring the ball to Mark Harris to put it in, put it in the back of net easily, I think just just gives them that edge that they've needed all well in in, in the first eight eight games of the season. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good performance. I think Callum O'Dowd was was outstanding again on the left hand side, and Jack Sipson looked steady in defence as well. And that's all you can ask for from the from the players is they put in the effort, they put in the performances, and yeah, to be three to be three nil up against Borough. I mean, this season is apparently a lot easier, um, but it's still it's still no mean feat to go away all the way to to the Riverside on a Tuesday, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday night and to to get a good result. So credit to Steve Morrison for getting the team firing because I think those that type of performance is that type of performance has been coming. Just a surprise to uh, it came against Middlesbrough. Yeah, they dropped Max Waters, someone I've been saying should be dropped for a number of weeks now, and they managed to get a result. So it's. Sometimes football is that simple, really. Uh, Watford lost for only the second time this season, 2-0 away at Blackburn. The highlight of this was Dom Hyam scoring kind of a scorpion kick, Justin. Yeah, I can't work out what he was doing. I, yeah. I mean, it, no, was like it was like halfway between a scorpion kick and a volley, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was It was a beautiful, beautiful goal. Um, yeah. But the replays that I've seen, I just cannot work out what he's done with his legs. Yeah. I can't. It's impossible. I think he's... 
he's somehow managed to dislocate his knee and mm. score this goal. But either way, it was a beautiful bit of improvisation and <laughs> skill, wasn't it? It really was. But a big win for Blackburn this, wasn't it? Four losses from five games heading into it. They needed a result. Yeah, and it was, it was a really positive performance with a slightly different system to the one they've been playing in in recent games. A 3-4-3 with a bit of a, a false number nine in Ryan Hedges, I think, worked really well. And Tyree Stolen was was tremendous as well, which is which is a nice it's a nice way to bounce back for him because we forget we forget about him last season because of the rise of Ben Brereton Diaz and John Buckley and, and and others. Um, but he but he barely featured or was barely. Um, yeah, barely impressive last season, um, but he was yeah really good, and he's he's had a good start under Thomason. I think that they needed that attacking edge because he's a he's a bit of a he's a bit of a wild card in games because he's got that ability. Um, but it was a really good all round performance, really solid performance as well, and they took advantage of Watford's poor demeanour um, and bad organisation, and, and yeah, we're really good value for the win here. Yeah, Ryan Hedges was excellent playing as that false nine caused all sorts of problems for Watford all night. Ryan Travis, young Tyler Morton on loan from Liverpool were great in midfield as well. They defended excellently too. It was a really well-rounded performance Mm -hmm. from Blackburn and they restricted Watford to just two shots on target. And this is Watford we're talking about. Sure, their fans will tell you they haven't been great, but they still had both Jao Pedro and Ishmael Assar starting this game. So a lot better from Blackburn here considering their previous results. Now, anyone who's listened to us in recent weeks will know that despite this only being Watford's second loss and results generally being all right so far, they haven't been playing well. So a result like this has been coming, has it, Justin? Yeah, if you've got your goalkeeper trying to calm down supporters after the game and, and reason with them, yeah, there's not a usually dis- a good sign. <laughs> no, it's it's not, is it? And, and Rob Edwards was seeding in his post match press press conference as well. Um, so yeah, all is not well down in uh, I don't know the Shire. Is it Hertfordshire, Hertfordshire, Hertfordshire? Oh, you just say right. Hertfordshire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's early and I'm tired. Leave me alone. Um, but nonetheless. My geography isn't great. I'm a, I'm a history guy. I, I'm yeah. amazed you just said that. Next next thing you know, you're going to be saying Berkshire. Berkshire. Anyway, um, yeah, the performances have, have been terrible, haven't they? Uh, well, not terrible. They've been they've been really poor. And, I mean, other than that Sheffield United game, I don't think I can really say I've been massively impressed with, with Watford so far this season. They've just sort of been going through the motions and uh, cruising, essentially, um, through through games. And, and with their experience, especially in defence, you've got likes of Cabaselli, Sirolta, Cathcart, a lot of games between them. I know Sirolta's a bit younger than Cabaselli and Cathcart, but they defended so naively, so, so naively um, in this game, especially that, yeah, they, they deserve the criticism they're getting from supporters. Um and as I say, if supporters are unhappy, you've got to do a lot to turn them around. Well, I said this last week. It's no coincidence for me that the teams Watford have beat have been Sheffield United, Burnley and Middlesbrough. Because when Watford are up against teams they're expected to be beating, they struggle. And I think it's because their players are better suited to games where they're not having to break teams down. You look at their midfield, Chowdhury and Kayembe, physical players not necessarily known for their ball playing abilities though so still good players but they're not ball players are they Mm -hmm. and when you've got a team playing deeper against this Watford team that's why they struggle as well Pedro can cause any team in this division problems but he's having to come so deep to get the ball (laughs) and it's a lot of pressure for him to be the only creative outlet in this team so 
I think it's an issue that Rob Edwards has got to deal with. And the longer it goes on, the more pressure he's going to be under because the fans aren't happy. You could take a neutral look at this and make and the neutral may look at this and go, oh, Watford are doing all right. But when you're seeing it in front of your eyes week in, week out, you can see there's problems with this team. And I worry that Edwards is going to struggle to solve those problems just because I don't think the personnel are necessarily there to... Mm get them results against teams they should be beating, really. Um, strangely, ex-Watford boss Iska Munoz was in the stands for this game. Apparently, he's keen to keep watching games in different countries before his next manager's job. <laughs> I mean, if, if, Watford, if Watford were to sack Edwards, then there's an option oh, for God. you. Um, a 93rd minute winner from Raider Kadra gave Sheffield United a 1-0 win away at Swansea. Not too sure how this game was nil-nil for so long because both teams had some really good chances, but both gave a good account of themselves, didn't they? Yeah, I think if you look at it from a neutral perspective, it was a, a, a fair performance from from both sides, and perhaps a draw being the, uh, a fair result. But Swansea, I thought Swansea were really good here. Um, it sort of it gives it's a sort of game that gives you belief that they are starting to go in the right direction because one of the issues they they have had is is creating good chances, but they created some good chances just didn't take them. They squandered some really good ones. I think it was uh, Cooper linking up with Piro um, at one point and maybe Cooper should have should have shot, but he squared it to Piro and Piro wasn't expecting it and he put it past the post. So, yeah, there's there's there's, a, there's really good elements from Swansea here, but they were just undone by some really poor defending from from Carl Norton. But nonetheless, yeah, good result for Sheffield United. When you're not playing at your best, but you're still getting results, always say it sign of a good team and Ollie Norwood was, was outstanding in the middle of the park again oh boy Justin Ollie Norwood exceptional <laughs> and he's been exceptional all yeah. season so far hasn't he a, a player like him it's always very easy for them to go under the radar especially when you've got exciting dynamic players besides you like and your Endayes and your Burgers but in terms of spraying the ball around the pitch and just dictating the play he's a marvellous player isn't he? Mm-hmm. when you really focus on him you really appreciate how he's like he's like the Vecna from Stranger Things because he is the, he is the beating heart of Sheffield United, Justin. And if you take well, yeah, exactly. If you take him out, you're having problems. And I've tried to focus my attention on him in a couple of games this season. You really appreciate just how marvelous a player he is. But he looks like he's back to his best and has been, without a doubt, one of the standout players in the championship for me. Not just Sheffield United. They've had a few standout players so far, but Oli Norwood has been spectacular so far uh, but Sheffield United have become the 26th 22nd team I should say in championship history to win 20 points or more from their first nine games only five of the previous 21 failed to get promoted and they continue to be the cream of the crop in the championship the Blades uh, Swansea couldn't make it back-to-back wins here but gave a very good account of themselves they have struggled but they look like they're slowly but surely turning a corner. Right, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Sunderland and a win for Stoke as well. Welcome back to the second tier podcast, Reading Nil, Sunderland three and Sunderland were absolutely sensational here Justin and that was highlighted perfectly by that last goal the team goal that was a real thing of beauty wasn't it 
Yeah, I feel, feel sorry for Patrick Roberts because his two goals were, were really, really good. Took him really well. Um, but and, and his performance was great as well. But that team goal just overshadows everything. Uh, everything that's that's happened. Because uh, there's some good goals um, in this game week as well. Um, but this one was, yeah, was, was, was top draw. It was beautiful. The pass and movement, Gooch starting to move off. And that pass, was it was it into Clark or was it into Gooch? Yeah, I think it was into Gooch where he plays him into space was just so perfectly weighted. And then the cross to Clark was... Was even better, yeah. It was a it was a ten out of ten goal, and I don't I don't know why team goals aren't often um, aren't often considered for goal of the season is enough. I don't think um, because this this was beautiful, lovely, lovely goal. What so you saying goal of the season? It should be a contender, yes. Team goals especially because I, I think that's the first really good team goal we've seen where it's five five six seven passes, incisive, quick going forwards, uh, Reading. Yeah, didn't defend well in this game at all, but they couldn't get anywhere near Sunderland. And sometimes, from an opposition perspective, you just got to go, Christ, you've done it there. That was that was a really good, that was a really good passing movement. And as I say, team goals, I think they should be they should be uh, yeah in contention for goal of the season at least. I'm not going to disagree with you, Justin. It was seriously delicious. I mean, the the ball from Dan Neal for the assist was mm-hmm. just inch perfect, wasn't it? And was oh just beautiful but you're quite right what you were saying before Patrick Roberts two very well taken goals and will be a bit annoyed that uh, his goals have been (laughs) completely overshadowed by um, what was a beautiful team goal but that was only Roberts's second league start of the season we know he's capable of don't we and he showed it here you'd have thought this would lead to him getting uh, more minutes in the Sunderland team and if he plays like he did here then Sutherland have already had some brilliant individual performances so far, haven't they? And he'll just be mm. another one, won't he? But Sunderland, exceptional here. One of the best performances I've seen from a championship side this season, certainly. They were just absolutely brilliant. Um, this was the first home game of the season that Reading didn't win. That's how good they've been at home so far. But I think, unfortunately for them, they just came up against a Sunderland team in top form, Justin. Yeah, they they, they did. I- I will be critical of the defending though, um, and it was the same in the Sheffield United game where, when they're beaten, they're really they're really well beaten. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it's the the first Patrick Roberts goal. Um, the the Reading side just just stood off Roberts for far too long and just gave him the opportunity to to pick his spot. Um, and Roberts is one of those players where if you do give him a chance, if you do give him a confidence in a game, he's, he's going to punish you. But if you get in his face. Doesn't really like it that often. I've seen it firsthand um, when he was at Derby, um, and you know, Neil Warnock was a manager. Didn't fancy him as well. Uh, he's a good player. Don't don't get me wrong. But if you get in his face, he's, he's he can he can hide a little bit. And I just don't think Reading manage that well. But listen, it's it's a it's a poor result um, and not the best performance. But Reading do bounce back from from defeats quite well. So might spark another run. Alex Neal got his first win as Stoke boss. They beat Hall 3-0 away. A bit of a surprise, really. I don't want to say it was undeserved, but it didn't feel like a 3-0 kind of game. Stoke did deserve the win, though. Don't get me wrong on that. Um, Fair play to them. Two goals and an assist for Lewis Baker. One of them was a really nicely taken goal. And ever since he moved to Stoke, Justin, he's been really relishing life in the potteries, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, he's he's been great. When he signed for him, I was so excited. I was so excited for him, and I was excited for Stoke because he's such a good player, um, especially at Championship level. And I don't think I still don't think Stoke have really seen the best out of him because he's one of those players who, in a certain type of system, is going to thrive. And I don't think Stoke have played to his strengths yet. But 
saying that, he's been brilliant so far, which is quite frightening. He's got ability. He really has. And he's, he's shown that with the goals that he scores. I don't think he's ever put his foot through the ball. Side foot's everything. And that is just, that is that is the elegance of the man. He's, he's, he's such a good player. And a surprising goal threat for Stoke. I don't think he's scored in the box yet other than penalties. I'd like to get some stats on that because, as I say, don't think I've seen him score a, a, a crap goal yet, which is great for him. You want stats on that, Justin? I've got stats for you. Since joining in January, he scored eight goals from outside the box. There you go. Which is just a remarkable tally. He has scored inside the box for them last season, but he hasn't done it this season. But from distance, I don't... Based on that, those stats alone, I don't think there's a better player shooting from outside the box than him, is there? But... Mm. We know he's a talented player. I mean, he was at Chelsea until the age of 26, so they must have seen something in him. It was just about him having a home. And sometimes when these players leave the clubs where it's clearly not been working for them and they get, you know, a permanent home like he has, then they just spring to life, don't they? And that's exactly what we've seen with him, really. And being given the captain's armband as well, seems to be loving life there and has turned out to be a really, really important player for Stoke. Um, After starting the season very well, Hull of it, Rocky patch all of a sudden. Four losses from five. But the real concern has to be the goals they've been conceding. They've let in 18. The most in the division by a fair distance. And only kept one clean sheet in their last 14 home games, Justin. Defensively, they have been a bit of a mess, haven't they? I think you've got to also ask the question is just how how easy they are to create chances against. Um, I think, obviously, if you're conceding goals... That's a worry, but how many chances are, are opposition sides getting against you? It's it's quite scary. I've, I've said on a couple of occasions that Matt Ingram has kept them in games. You go back to that Norwich game, for example, where he may save after save after save. This game has made a couple of errors um, and, and was punished. You can't, re- you can't rely on your goalkeeper to bail you out every time. As a unit, you've got to perform better. You've got to do better. They still create chances themselves, but they're just far too open. It's It's... it's they're easy to cut through and I think that's something that's going to put a lot of pressure on Arvaladze to try and find that solution because if you look at the starting 11 in this game it's not it's probably not too far off being their best their best 11 um, give or take one or two players so yeah Arvaladze is going to be under pressure to, to turn turn results around turn performances around mainly because as I say they're too easy to create chances against far too easy well they've been relying on outscoring teams haven't they and it's going to be mm-hmm. it's a lot of pressure for the forwards to keep outscoring teams when they're conceding the number of goals at the rate they are um, especially because you know you look at Estupinan for example scored a ridiculous amount of goals already but he's going to do very well to hit 30 this season isn't he which he was doing at the rate he was doing so yeah you, you need other players chipping in with goals but we, I mean most importantly first and foremost you have got to sort out how bad they've been defensively because it's mm-hmm. clearly the big problem with them I'm not sure about them at three at the back they look a bit shaky every time I've seen them at three at the back but we'll have to wait and see let's make it a hat-trick of 3-0 wins Justin Rotherham won by the same scoreline at home to Blackpool and Rotherham were brilliant weren't they? They were they were they were superb um, created a lot of chances they were dangerous I think they've scored eight from set plays now which is the league's best. We've always we always get one team a season, don't we, where they're just ridiculous from set pieces and and Richard Wood, Ballon d'Or, he's got another assist here. His goal contribution is going to be through the roof this season. Um, but yeah, this it's yeah been a really good start for for Overham so far, and I think they've surprised in how well they've adapted to the championship this time around because 
if you go back to previous seasons, they've they've struggled, um, but they have been they have been great. They've they've wouldn't say they've been lucky with injuries, but the, the squad's been pretty consistent. The starting eleven's been pretty consistent, and I think that's helping Paul Warren massively in terms of getting his ideas across because they do look a completely different opposition to the one we've seen previously when they've been in the championship. Yeah, defensively they've been really solid, haven't they? And that's what we were saying about Rotherham at the start of the season, wasn't it? As long as they continue the defensive solidarity that they showed from last season because they conceded by far the fewest number of goals in League One, then they'll have a decent chance of staying up in the Championship. Well, they've scored mm-hmm. more goals than I was expecting from them so far. I yeah. think a lot of that has been down to Ogbeni, who's been exceptional, whether he's been playing in midfield or up top. He's been Rotherham's best player um, going forward, without a doubt, apart from Richard Wood, of course, who, as you say, Ballon d'Or contender at this point. Um, Norwich won for the sixth game in a row, beating Bristol City 3-2. Dean Smith won't be happy with the two goals they conceded, which were a bit sloppy. But overall, another quality performance by the Canaries, Justin. Yeah, they're taking the chances now. That's the, that's the difference between between them. And perhaps they conceded some good opportunities themselves, but Bristol City are a very good attacking team. So they're going to be one of those teams, especially away from home, that you've got to outscore. And they did that. As I say, they, they took the chances really well. I think it was the second Pookie goal, prime Pookie, where he's coming in off the off the wide area, um, drifting in between the centre-halves and the full-back, finding space and, and, and slotting in. It was, it was prime Pookie. And I think you've got to give a lot of credit to Dean Smith forgetting Sargent and Pookie playing well in that team together because it looked like it wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna happen but they're creating chances now. They are probably not defensively at their best yet, but they will improve. Um and they're and they're taking their opportunities. It's been a really good three or four weeks for, for Norwich in this performance. Not the best, but they found a way to win. They they outscored the opponents. They did well. Um and that's what Norwich are about, I think, with this with this crop of players. Yeah, without a doubt, Tumi Puki really should have had a hat-trick, but good to see him back amongst the goals because he was struggling earlier. But when you've got both him and Sargent in good form, then you know Norwich are just going to keep winning games, aren't they, like they have done so far. Bristol City gave a good account of themselves. Individual errors really cost them here, mm-hmm. but with the form Norwich are in at the moment, Nigel Pearson will be fairly content with what he saw here, I imagine. QPR have now won three, go- three, three goals. My notes have completely failed me here. QPR have now won three games from their last four games um, after beating Millwall 2-0 at the Den. Uh, My main takeaway from this was how strange the second goal was, Justin. I think Elias Chair had a corner. All the Millwall players were outside the box marking the incoming QPR players. And Stephanie Hansen was just left on his own. So Elias Chair went, all right, I'll just pass it to you in the box. And he scored. So, yeah, very strange that. But, yeah, QPR seem to have really got going under Mick Beale now, don't they? Yeah, they're finding their stride, which is all you can ask for, especially from a new manager. I think if you compare QPR to the likes of of Burnley, Watford, the new managers that are coming to the league in Blackburn... um, other than Rob Edwards, they've all had pretty steady starts. But I think uh, I think um, uh, Beal's probably had one of the, the, the tougher situations, i.e. that he's not had as much funds to, to add to his team. They've added certain players, but they just haven't been able to um, go out and recruit massively. Um, they needed a fair turnover in the squad. Didn't quite happen, but from the group of players that he's got, they've got he's got them playing pretty well, pretty organised as well. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's getting Chris Willock and Elias sharing to good areas which is what you need to do when you've got players of that talent. He's got them playing consistently together as well, which is something that Warburton couldn't quite find the formula for. One of them would play well, the other one would be 
so-so and so on and so forth throughout the season um so for bill to strike that balance i think is yeah again deserves credit but yeah really good start from qpr under 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 their new manager yeah if you get them both playing like this for the majority of the season then qpr always going to be within a shout of the playoffs aren't they because mm. for my money they're two of the best midfielders in the division luton two coventry two luton really should have had a penalty here carl mcfadge's in is he's I don't really know what he was doing. It was like a goalkeeper save on the six-yard <laughs> box. I don't. It was very strange, and I'm not sure how the referee hasn't given that one. To be honest, but really? Coventry looked a lot better here, didn't they? Than they have been considering. They have been pretty appalling so far, actually. Um, but came from a goal down twice to get a point away at Kenilworth Road. Not the easiest of hunting grounds, is it? So yeah, I think. Uh, Mark Robbins will be very happy with the point here. Plus, quick word on Gustavo Hamer's goal. That was oh my God. a sensational bit of quality. Just it was it was a bit of a side foot, really, wasn't it? From about thirty yards out, but the pace on it, the whip was just <laughs> exceptional. I mean, what a player he is! And finally, in a Lancashire derby, Preston and Burnley drew one all. This goal was very much a goal fest by Preston standards. Um, just their third goal of the season, but they didn't really offer much going forwards. In truth. When the forwards have been as misfiring as they have been, it means they're going to really struggle to win considering they weren't having much provided to them. But it actually seemed Preston were fairly happy with a point towards the end of the game. Burnley unbeaten in six now. They certainly love a good draw though, don't they, Justin? Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and it looks like this weekend's fixtures will be going ahead after all, despite the Queen's funeral. I saw numerous reports last week saying it was unlikely they would be. Then I saw it would probably be just the games in London affected, but in the end it seems like everything will be fine, unless I've missed something. So, yeah, nothing to worry about, apparently. Uh, Norwich City shareholders have given their approval for Milwaukee Brewers owner Mark Atanasio to join the board. The 64-year-old now owns an 18% stake in the club and will become a director subject to EFL approval. He's reportedly worth around £600 million. The Athletic says he will provide a £10 million loan to the club, which is thought will go towards developing character road and the training ground it also says Antonasio has signaled a desire to have a larger stake in the club uh, thoughts on that Justin I think it's a positive thing for Norwich I think under their current ownership model it's not sustainable um, and if Norwich are going to push that next level they need to push to i.e not become a yo-yo club um, I do think they need further investment from from ownership to to do that, and I just don't think the current ownership can uh, can afford to do it. And that's absolutely fair enough. But I think it does highlight how successful their their model has been under Stuart Webber to get those to get that parachute payment money in, to get the money in the bank, to make them a success. It's been a good strategy, but they need to bridge that gap. And I think only a new investment is going to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think every time they get to the Premier League, they don't spend enough money or their recruitment just hasn't been good enough for them to sustain a Premier League place. So hopefully this goes some way to them bridging that. Um, but yeah, Norwich have long been a club that have not really had strong backing from their owners no. because they don't have the money to do it. So this guy coming in may signal a change in that. In transfer news, West Brom have signed ex-Celtic midfielder Tom Rogic and Burnley defender Eric Peters on permanent deals. Both were free agents. You like them, Justin? Yeah, I, I guess I do. Yeah, Peters is a solid player. Roger is 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 a very elegant um, left-footed player. 
not sure if they needed him or not, but if he adds competition and it's that number 10 spot, then, then absolutely fair enough. does make me think, a lot of Australians in the Championship this season, and fair enough. We don't see enough from the, that, that, uh, that corner of the world. Are there a lot of Australians? I can't think of any others. It feels like it. Luongo, uh, McGree, uh, obviously Rogic. I'm sure there's one or two more. I've just I've just made a claim about having any backing whatsoever. <laughs> I just I just feels like there's been a lot of Australians coming to the news in the championship recently. And fair enough. I'm all for it. I like Australia as a country, and I'm all for more Australians coming to the championship. Uh, Milo Rashica has left Norwich to go to Galatasaray on loan. That move last summer has just not worked out at all, as it cost them a lot mm. of money as well. Reading have signed Senegalese midfielder Amadou Mbenge on a deal until January. The 20-year-old was last at French side Metz. Sticking with Reading, the Reading Chronicle says Andy Carroll is set for a return to the club. He was with them for two months last season before joining West Brom for the second half of the campaign. The Daily Mail claims he's turned down a 20 grand a week offer from a side in Iran. At the return of Mr Carroll to Reading, Justin, are you a fan? I guess so. Um I'd be pretty peeved as a Reading fan because he left last season. I don't know. I don't. I can't. I don't actually know what the circumstances were. But obviously, going to West Brom sort of left Reading behind after they gave him a chance. Nobody else would give him a chance, but Reading. Reading did. And yeah, it's a shame that he didn't burn bridges. Obviously, if they're going back for him. But fair enough. He adds a different dimension to that attack. I'm not massively convinced by um, Shane Long, Pennyford, Jamara Clark's thoughts. So I've been long wanting for him to get an opportunity in the team, but. Obviously, if Andy Carroll comes in, pushes him further down the pecking order, but he's a difficult player to play against, and it's always going to help. I just remember those two wonder goals he scored yep. that were disallowed <laughs> in the space of five minutes last season. That was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen on a football pitch. But yeah, he, he was well liked when he was at Reading. I don't see why you wouldn't bring him back if he's available on a free. At the Telegraph is reporting ex-Burnley midfielder Dale Stevens is training with Middlesbrough as well. Uh, away from transfer news, Blackburn midfielder Adam Wharton has signed a new five-year deal with Rovers. The 18-year-old has impressed in his first team appearances this season and has been with Blackburn since he was six. Seems like Blackburn have learnt from not giving their prize assets new contracts. Wharton's given one now. John Buckley's been given a new long-term deal as well. So, at least they're learning from their mistakes, I suppose. And finally, Preston boss Ryan Lowe has been given a two-match touchline ban following his red card against Birmingham a couple of weeks ago. That didn't include the game against Burnley on Tuesday night. I think I'm right in saying, though. Right, now it's time for this. Did Yes, sir. You mind telling me why the hell you never mentioned this before? Yes, it's time for Diddy or Didn't He. This is the part of the show where we have 10 players with various connections to the championship and a club. All we've got to do is guess whether they've played for that club or not. He's got to have made a senior appearance for them. We take it in turns to guess them and we keep score as the season goes on. This week, it's my friend Justin Peters' turn to guess with the score 21-20 to myself. Justin, are you ready? I'm laughing nervously. I'm smiling nervously. Obviously, viewers can't see it, but I'm I'm pretty nervous. I don't know why. Well, you should be because I'm very happy with oh, some of these. <laughs> um, Justin, your first one is this: Ollie Norwood and Coventry. Did he or didn't he? Yes, he did. I remember that spell. Okay, fair enough. Eighteen appearances on loan in 2012. You're absolutely right. First one's important to get mm. off the start and uh, get off the mark, isn't it? Um, so that's one out of one for you so far. Let me just write that down. Next up is John Swift and Rotherham. Did he or didn't he? As mm. he bounced around a lot of London clubs, can't see him going further than the Watford Gap 
before his <laughs> career got going, obviously, to West Brom. So I'm going to say no. Four appearances on loan what? in 2014. <laughs> yep, completely passed me by as well. Uh, next up, Championship legend Peter Whittingham and Burnley. Did he or didn't he? No. No, he came through the Claret and Blue, didn't he? But not Burnley, he was at Villa. But I feel like he might have had one or two more loan spells than, than perhaps I remember. But I'm going to say no. You sure? Yes. Seven appearances in oh. 2005. One out of three for Justin Peach so far. He looks to the sky in disappointment, as he rightly should. Uh, next up is Alex Pritchard and West Brom. Did he or didn't he? <laughs> Shit. Um, no. No, he didn't. Two appearances on loan in 2016. <laughs> oh, of course he was. Yes, it- Oh, I love this game oh, so much. Goals. Um, just to point out, four so far, all of them have been, he did. Just to uh, put that little nugget in your head. Um, one out of four, Justin. Next up is Danny Bat and Middlesbrough. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, he did. That was recent. Yeah, I wasn't sure if you'd remember that or not. Ten appearances on loan in 2018-19. Uh, so that means you've got two out of five. Freddie Woodman and Sheffield Wednesday. Did he or didn't he? I was going to say, it was his dad who was goalkeeping coach. So everyone else, that's Andy Rhodes. That's Jordan Rhodes' dad. Um, He's a mistake. <laughs> Andy's. Um, I'm going to say no. I don't think he... He's had a fair few loan spells, but I don't think Wednesday was one of them. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say no. You don't seem very sure, Justin. <sighs> I'm, yeah. I'm just not convinced. I'm Yeah. He didn't. I made it up. Okay. So you're absolutely spot on. Three out of six. Next up is Gary Medine and Leeds. Did he or didn't he? God, he's been everywhere. He's been everywhere. He's Sheffield United. He's played for Wednesday as well, I think, actually. Nah, he's not played for Leeds. I'd, I'd, I'd remember that. I'm sure I would. He's played for quite a few clubs. And Leeds wasn't one of them. So you're absolutely right, Justin. That means it's four out of seven. You're having a bit of a recovery now. Uh, Bartosz Bielkowski and Bristol City. Did he or didn't he? No. Straight off the bat. Fair enough. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, didn't play for Bristol City. That's five out of eight. Paul McShane and Crystal Palace. Did he or didn't he? Ooh. <laughs> I can picture him in a Palace shirt. And I feel like there was a loan spell there because um, he went to West Brom when he was quite young, but perhaps a spell at Palace on loan before he went there. So I'm going to say yes. Ten appearances on loan in 2012. So really? wasn't when you thought it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was when he was at Hull and his career was wow. uh, winding down there. So yeah, six out of nine. Your final one then, Justin. Harry Maguire and Wigan. Did he or didn't he? Yeah, I remember that spell because they had a they had a weird kit set up. They had black socks, I think, with um, or black shorts with their blue kit. Looked really weird, but that's why I can remember it. We're going to one of those clubs that should never have black socks, are they? It's just mm. morally wrong. But you're absolutely right. 16 appearances on loan in 2015. I like to throw a big name in there every so often just to see if um, you do remember it or not because it would be the ultimate embarrassment if you did forget that one. Uh, but there you go. <laughs> Seven, Justin. Considering you start, I think that's quite a good score. Yeah, I was I was 
I was nervous. I was stressed <laughs> out, especially that first few that came and went. Yeah, they weren't great, but recovered well. Quite, quite pleased with that. That means the score is 27-21 to Justin Peach now for the season. That is tight. If I get seven next week, then I'd be fairly happy with that. Um, but yeah, still very tight. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting the scores to kind of like you know drift away as the season mm. goes on. One of us may start uh, pulling away at some point. But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That has been Diddy or Dinty. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast Midweek Edition. We'll be back again on Sunday to talk about... The games in the championship, which I'm guessing are going ahead now. Time may tell on that one, but uh, we'll wait and see. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We will look forward to seeing you on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.